Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. My name is Alan Mead. I'm your co your host, your co-host, kind of, but your host of the Alan Mead Experience. Uh, I'm a dentist, a podcaster, and a long-haul trucker. I'd like to uh, introduce my co-host for today, for this afternoon. We have Dr. Davina Dietrich. Davina, how are you doing? I am fantastic, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to um, Live to Tape Podcasting, where... It's okay if I muck up the intro a little bit because I'm not going to go back. See, that's how I'm doing it now. <laughs> awesome. Okay, let's let's roll with it. I know. It's it is funny. Okay. So, um you and I met in Chicago a couple months ago. Cosmin had put on this really cool program for it. We're sort of both sort of partners with Cosmin in different ways. It was fun. We got to meet each other and and um Jason and you and I and your husband podcasted in my hotel room which is way less sexy than that sounds actually. But uh, so you guys were, you guys were a, a, a screamingly good episode of the dental hacks podcast, but you and I had talked and I, I knew I had to have you on this because you and I both like to talk about storytelling and creative endeavors, I think. So yes, I tell, tell us, give us the, like the 32nd background. Who is Davina Dietrich? What's your, what's your story? Where do you come from and what do you do? Um, so I, the 32nd version, I am from a super small town, 8,000 people. I have been in dentistry for 17 years. I started off as an assistant and then a hygienist and now a dentist. And what I do within dentistry is basically combine all of my passions and built a company that really expresses all of those different things within the scope of dentistry. Interesting. Interesting. That's, that's, so that's the short version. That I, I know. And that's the tough thing. The short version is so... Uh, as as Dr. Corey Glenn likes to say, uh, because of his particular situation, he is no longer working in the mouth hole. I'm just curious, how much time do you spend in the mouth hole or do you spend any time in the mouth hole with that company? So right now I'm transitioning into going more time in the mouth hole. So we just had a baby. So I've taken a little bit of time off for that. Mm -hmm. And then um, we are also building a practice. So when the practice is done being built, then I will go back in, which hopefully will be um, after like, you know, maybe fall, be ready to roll. Nice. You guys are building a practice. Probably probably we should talk after that too, just because uh, there's a certain amount of putting yourself into that. There's a certain amount of surviving the process. I can say that from a little bit of experience too. So you guys hanging in there? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, so far there's been so much excitement around the creativity. And so um, I know that the reality and the, you know, logistics of it is going to hit, but right now it's all this, you know, whimsical theory about what well, we can you, actually do with the space. If you absolutely don't care about your budget at all and you can just spend money like crazy, it can stay whimsical and fun. It's just a matter. <laughs> it's always when, right. when you have, when the budget actually has to hit the table and you're like, wait a second, that, that's, that's when stuff gets a little bit less, uh, less fanciful in my, in my estimation. No, I totally agree with you. And, um, one of our friends who has built several practices, I asked him if he would kind of be the editor. I said, uh, we're going to need that. So are you available to be that person for us? And he's like, yes, I will look at all of your whimsical things and mm-hmm. rein them back in. So 
I, you know, so basically when I moved, I moved my practice in 2013. It's almost four years that I've been in this practice. And I moved it um, from a horrible, just horrible office. It was terrible. Um, it was it was the basement floor of a, of a cheesy 70s tri-level. It was really, you know, we're talking, <laughs> it was bad. And, and like there was so much, so much of the technology I added to the office was like, I'm sure that the fire code was broken. It was awful. The place was terrible. So it was the, the thing about the thing I found was cool is that I found the building I found uh, was nice enough. I'd love to say that, you know, we've had, you know, Mike Unthank on on and, and he does some amazing things. But basically, when you're in such a horrible place, you only have to be so good to, to step up. But what I will say this, and I think you get a kick out of this, my office team and myself pretty much designed the whole thing and we pretty much executed all of it like like we did a ton of like we reused the doors from the old doctor office that it used to be. We used it was crazy. My my office manager is very creative, very creative, and so she basically I basically gave her wide license to do whatever she wanted to do with it. And so we got to sort of we made it our own. It was very cool, it was very fun. That is so cool. It is, and it was it was fun because like okay, so my chairside assistant, sort of right hand woman, and myself, we put the clinical part together and we have been accused it's been accused of being a little bit sterile uh because it's not as it's not as it's not as like kind of bohemian coffee shop as the front part but on the other hand i can think of worse things to be called than sterile for a dental right operator i mean (laughs) so so how are you how are you like how much are you in on the design how much are you in on the i mean are you driving nails and pulling up carpet and all that stuff or is that more more left to the professionals yeah, I won't. I won't be doing any of that, and you don't want me doing any of that. <laughs> That's the way I am too. I let them do everything. I'm like, I know which is my lane, and I know which is not my lane, and so that is definitely not my lane. But um, you know, the design part right now, and like meeting with the architect and what we want and the vision that we have for the space, that I'm all in on. But the you know the manual labor part, there's you. You want me totally out of that? Yeah, I. I there were limited things that they wanted me for. Much of it involved like carrying heavy things out. Like they, they saw me with a paintbrush and stopped me from that, which is funny because that's sort of an, I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, they, there were certain things that I was allowed to do and certain things I wasn't allowed to do. And you know what? I'm not so, so uh, grandiose that I, that I didn't listen to them. (laughs) I just stayed out of the way when I was supposed to. That is a very good trait to have. I I think that that's a great trait to have. Well, and we've the the people that that my team that really helped put this together. We've been working together long enough. I think they could pretty much tell me I was okay with that. I was okay with that. I wrote the checks and and uh, and you know uh, for the clinical stuff. I basically they did it exactly the way that I wanted to. So that was cool. It's just, it is awesome. fun though. It's a cool time because you get to make it your your own. You know how how are you guys doing with that? I mean, like are you you have a you have a theme and and meanwhile. You get there's two dentists involved. So do you and Galen have differing differing design ideas or not really? You know, we don't. We have very much the same aesthetic for things. And so that's um that's that, awesome. that yeah, that works out really, really well. So for the most part, our taste is very much the same. The only place that I've really found out that our taste taste was totally different when we were when we were naming our daughter. Like I was like, <laughs> Oh yeah, we're like so in tune. And we start picking out baby names. I'm like, I don't even know you. <laughs> you know it's really okay this this is really funny i wondered if uh, moments ago i thought about this i'm like ah, oh, this is sort of inappropriate but you know what there is so much in my life where those details 
don't matter to me at all. Now, mind you, naming the children, I, I didn't want them to have a bad... Actually, I was trying to curse both of my children with a horrible name. Um, <laughs> I really was. My wife was having none of it. But she has a hard time deciding on what to have at a restaurant. Like, that's a struggle for her. So the naming the child, I mean, she she dug deep on all of it. Whereas there's certain things that I feel very strongly about, many things that I don't, and I think many things that a lot of dentists and other people would feel strong about that I don't feel so strong about. And it's one of these things where I'm super comfortable saying, don't care. This does not matter to me. I Whatever comes out of this is okay. So naming the children was one of those things that was frustrating to my wife because she wanted me to feel more strongly about the name. So you guys, you guys really butted heads on that. I kind of, I'm kind of glad to know that, that other people struggle with that. Oh yeah, for sure. And I thought it was going to be like, Oh, we have the same taste because we've always, you know, traditionally had the same taste, but yeah, not when it came to picking out names, both wow. of us were looking at the other person, like you are cuckoo. Yeah, our, <laughs> our, our second kiddo almost left the hospital with no name. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Like, like well, we, we could, it, the first one we came up with it sooner and second one, second one was, we had nothing. Uh. Well, total transparency. I'm toying around with the idea of changing her name now and she's five months old. Oh, is that right? She wouldn't <laughs> yeah, know though, right? She, you could get, now would wouldn't. be the time to do it, right? Oh yeah, totally. I looked into the process. I'm like, this is doable. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I mean, but on, okay. So I am a, I am a second. I am, my full name is Roger Allen Mead the second. I'm named after my father. Interestingly, I think technically I should be junior because I think the second is when it's not named after your father, but someone else from the family. In any case, Roger Allen Mead is my name and is also my dad's name. So I've gone by Allen forever. However, I've answered to Roger for so long and going to college and going to school and going to dental school. It's been explaining the middle name was so much more work than it. Like if I could just have the time back that I've spent explaining where Allen comes from, from Roger. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. So, like, there was a short period of time for both of these boys that we were thinking of giving them Roger Allen Mead III. And I said, no, I'm not going to do this. It was such a mess for me. I love the name. I don't love the explanations that come along with it. So I think that's why that's why one of my children was going to name be named Hercules. I'm not even kidding. I, I really wanted to name the child Hercules. I wasn't. I was pushing for it for both kids. It never happened. Not even a nickname, mind you. Um, but I'm like, there will be no other Herculeses in their first grade class. I'm just saying that. That's the oh truth. Oh my gosh, you should have. I know. Her- would, it would, it would have been so great. There was nothing there. I don't even think it made, like, I think my, my wife didn't actually punch me or anything, but like the eye roll, you could hear it from across the room. So yeah, it wasn't happening. But what, don't you think there would be a lot of pressure with that kind of name? Seriously. Like, I don't think that you could be like a crossing guard, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Even if Hercules, wasn't he, disappointed Hercules doesn't get... Hercules doesn't get B's on tests. I'm just saying. Right. That. That's, That's, yeah. Exactly. I feel like there would just be a lot of pressure with that yeah. name, even if it wasn't enforced by your family. What if he was tiny, too? Like, what if he was really small? Oh, like short, and see, like a really bad athlete. Exactly. So, yeah, I think I probably went okay with the whole, yeah. I, I uh, We did name my second son Jacob. Uh, Jacob. And, <laughs> like, like, there are so many Jacobs. Because it was right in the middle of the whole, uh, the whole vampire movie thing where, like, <laughs> Jacob was the 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 sexy werewolf guy. Yeah, yes, that was, the Twilight series. Yeah, exactly. Twilight. And it was right. He was born in 2010, so we right in the middle of the Twilight series. And I, I'm not saying that there's regret because he's the only Jacob that I care about. However, 
when you go to Cub Scout meetings and you call for Jacob, a lot of heads turn. Let's just say that there's always a lot of Jacobs in every group. So I kind of got burned I on love that. It. So what? How did you? I want to hear about the fight. How? What? What names? What is the name? And what were some of the names? This I really want to hear this. So our daughter's name is Kyra Story, mm-hmm. which which is interesting because Story came from my obsession with storytelling. Mm-hmm. So that's how her middle name came about. But um, her first name, Galen picked out. And Galen has a really strong um, feeling about the meaning of names. And so Kyra was this like warrior princess type of name. And mm-hmm. I really like the name Germaine. And he was like, like germ, like people are going to call her germ. <laughs> I think Jermaine is such a cool name. And he was like, no, we're not naming her that. My that whole family. My, I will say my, my wife spent a lot of time trying to get bad nicknames out of, out of whatever name we're, we can't name him this. They'll call him this. You know, like my best friend from dental school is named Bart. And he's like, don't name your kid Bart because it rhymes with fart. And everyone, you'll, you'll, you'll never, I mean, honest to God, it's going to live through this. So like, there's a lot of names that have, so I think your husband's, I think his heart's in the right place with the whole germ thing. Not that you would call him that, but you got to remember what second graders call each other. That's the thing. Yeah, that's what he said. He's like, we have to put the name, run the name through the playground test. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so, yeah. And and I really didn't have any names that besides that one that I really loved. So I was like, well, I don't hate Kyra. Like that's, that's the furthest I could go with it was I don't hate it because uh-huh. when I was pregnant I hated everything mm-hmm. so <laughs> I'm like fine the thing that I don't hate wins I we it's really funny too because I know that the name thing my wife has a hard time making decisions on a lot of things so I knew the name thing was going to be a struggle and we literally both times waited till the last second on the deal I think we did quite well with both of them personally but our our, I, our plans for you know different things never worked out like sean allen like she really liked the name samuel sean mm-hmm. allen mead is his name but his initials are sam and so we we're like hey we could use as a nickname well, never that's great but when nicknames actually have to come out of organic usage i think <laughs> so <laughs> we never had there was never a nickname it's just but, but i really do like the name sean and i mean but you have to admit they become the name too right i mean like the name is is after a while it becomes them so it's just a weird it's an interesting thing like, yeah, I remember that we struggled with it and now I can't imagine it being any other way. I'm sure most parents would say exactly that. No, I think that's true. So that's interesting. OK, so let's dig into this a little bit. We you and I have talked a lot about storytelling and we probably come from a little bit different background of storytelling. But both of us storytelling and actually the creative pursuits in general. I think you and I have a lot of that in common. So tell me, when did you first get obsessed with the idea of storytelling and, and do you think it's part of our DNA? So absolutely. I think it's, in, it's such a huge part of our DNA. And I also think that it's been a piece that not necessarily that we've lost, but I think it's been a piece that's been perverted. I will say that. And I think what I mean by that is that storytelling and marketing now is used. It has been, I think that we're seeing a change, but used to make people feel badly about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that so story has been used in that way. And I think now we're starting to see a shift where storytelling is coming back in a really powerful way used to empower people and get them to make choices that are better for themselves, not any other agenda for anybody else, but getting that person to take the leap for whatever they want to create in their lives. So I think that's why I'm so passionate about it, because it can come from a place that is really inspiring and not from a place of making people feel really icky about themselves. What? Uh, give me an example of something that probably most listeners have heard 
storytelling. You know, give me an example of something that you think is a good piece of storytelling that most people will be familiar with, whether it's from, you know, I, I guess ideally from some kind of marketing, basically. Because there's a lot of of dramatic storytelling that really works. Honest to God, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 today. Was crying Mm. in the movie, in a superhero movie. I I thought they did some really good story development, character development. But here's the thing. I'm talking more about marketing. What kind of really effective storytelling have you seen in marketing just lately? Um, I don't know if it's been lately, but I think one of the examples that I really love to use is Apple, right? Something simple like Think Different and that, I mean, that is huge. It gets people to spend thousands of dollars. They, they line up and it doesn't matter if Apple's tech is better or worse than a competitor. People don't care because people are buying into the story that I think different. I'm a creative and I want you to see it because I am carrying around a MacBook. Right. So I do, I do. I think, I think what's really funny about that is the the telling part of that is when they release a new iPhone and there's the line around the block and all that stuff. That's because that is definitely not about the technology. That's about the story for sure. Yes. Yes. And I think that, I think that's where Steve jobs genius really was is that he didn't make more products. He actually scaled down on products and told a better story. Yeah. I, it's funny though. Okay. So part of storytelling for me is I feel like, a lot of uh, there's a lot of people that use storytelling and marketing and they make a point of that like they they but but what some and I'll say in dentistry quite a bit of what they lack is authenticity in other words like okay so uh, the reason i can say apple storytelling is super effective is not only is their their narrative that everyone kind of knows the the that waiting in line around this that that is one thing but i will tell you i'm an apple user and I think they're, I think they're better. I think, the, I, I think on, you know, nuts and bolts, I think they're better. There's plenty of windows people that are saying I'm crazy, but I've been using Apple stuff for a long time and I really prefer it. And the story, the story is probably for me, maybe it reinforces how I feel about it, but it is funny. It's that story is makes, it's more about how you feel about the product in a lot of cases than how the product really is. I appreciate the fact that Apple has both. You know what I'm saying? Like, not only does mm-hmm. the story make me feel good, but they're an authentically good product, in my opinion, too. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm a Mac user as well. So I agree with you. I Mac all day. But um, yeah, and I think so. I think that's I think the story is what initially is going to draw people to you. But if you don't have a product of substance, mm-hmm. of course, they you know, are going to go somewhere else. But I think that now we're seeing storytelling used in marketing and you're seeing companies that do really amazing things. And part of why I am really obsessed with it within the scope of dentistry in particular is because I see really amazing practitioners and they don't incorporate their story or their patient's story enough. And so you don't know how amazing they are. And so when we start looking at that, it's really hard to distinguish you know, for patients, I have a bunch of dentists, you know, like here in Albuquerque, we have one row, we have a street that is dentist row is what people call it, because that's all that's on there, right? Mm -hmm. And so as a patient, how do I know which one to go to? Um, They, I'm assuming they all have the same credentials, I'm assuming as a patient, because I don't know that they all basically know the same stuff. So now I have to go to my insurance and see, well, who qualifies that way mm-hmm. and who's closest to my house. So now we're using things to pick a provider 
because we don't actually know anything else about them. And so for me, story is so important because I think it's one way that dentists in particular can cut through everything and really stand out. I completely agree. I mean, to the point of um, ridiculous, I agree. Like I, my, my office website, um, mind you, I, I just haven't worked on it very much in the last couple of years, but it's, it's a blog. It's nothing else. It's not, I literally put it together myself. It's all my own writing and everything like that. And it's still, even though I have not put a lot of work into it just lately, damn you podcasts, but that's kind of what's <laughs> my, my time is spent less on the writing than it is. In any case, it's, it's yielded significantly. Literally, I, I get emails from, from people all over, all over the world about stuff that I've written, mind you, but it also, Google enjoys that too. By chance, they, they like story and they like authenticity and lo and behold, the, you know, just the straight blog approach that I've taken has paid off in a lot of dividends. And so I'm curious, like what, when you, because you're working with a lot of dentists, you, you, the company that you guys have put together, which we'll talk about in a little while, but, but I mean, you, you are sort of a, it's not just clinical education. It's not just marketing education. It's not just photography. It's, it's this whole package of, of, but a lot of it is involved in how do you differentiate yourself from other dentists. So tell us a little bit about what, how do you tell dentists to do that? So one one of the things that I dig into is actually getting to know them. So asking questions like one of the questions that I ask is, what did you have to give up to become a dentist? Because in that question, there is a lot of depth and a lot of answers to what that person was like before they devoted themselves to this one thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it could have been that they had a love of music, a love of art. Um, we have a swimmer, like all of these different passions. And it really starts getting their creativity flowing because it's like, yeah, what did I shelf to really throw myself 100% to my business? And from that question, I can see how we can incorporate that the other pieces of that personality back into their business because people love that. Patients, you know, um, the first time I met you, because of listening to Hacks, I felt like I knew you, right? So mm-hmm. I... I hugged you and I'm like, I know that you hate chickens and I know that you <laughs> a lot of chicken talk on these podcasts. Don't know what that's so, all about. Yeah. So like there was just these weird things that I felt like I knew you. And so if I was going to you as my dentist, I would have this instant connection with you. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, how do we incorporate your personality? So somebody says, you're my person. Like I would love to know you even on a personal level. And because of that, I can actually start forming trust because that can be built without actually sitting and spending a lot of face time, like the initial stages. Obviously you up level and deepen the trust that you have with somebody, but that can all be built mm-hmm. on a foundation first. Okay. So uh, this, I'm going to step back and this is something I've said about a thousand times on the dental hacks. And it is so true. If you have an office Facebook page and you're putting cheesy little things from another company up there about, Hey, have a great day or whatever. That's fine. Compare the interaction you get with those to a photo of anything that has your team involved with it, whether it's a you know, give kids a smile day or one of your assistants dressed up for Halloween. Put that up there and just see what patients and people react to. They react to the real you. They react to whatever's real. Like <laughs> just every time some someone sends you donuts to your office, like a, like an orthodontist or, or they stop by with, or, or a patient or whatever, put that up on your Facebook page and see what kind of response it gets. Just donuts, you holding donuts and thanking a patient. It's okay. That is like super powerful. And I think a lot of people don't realize it. They're happy to just like put their 
what their office portrays to the world, give that to someone else. When in reality, a smartphone and, and a sense of humor can go a long ways. That's storytelling in a nutshell. I mean, that's yeah. on, a, on a small scale, that's storytelling. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize there's so much power in that. Absolutely. And like once I start digging into these practices, these docs are doing amazing things and they're not telling anybody about it. Mm -hmm. And part of it is like, okay, if you want to be a secret, that's fine, but you will also be a secret to your patients as well. And so some of the hurdles that we have to get over is um, really owning our value. Like it, for, for some people, it's like, well, I don't want to brag or I don't want to feel this certain way. And I think um, part of the mentality is that being in school for so long, we're all kind of trained to get tapped on the shoulder and get a degree or get a grade and somebody say, okay, you're good enough to go to the next level. Well, I think when you're a practice owner, nobody is going to walk into your practice and say, you know what? It's so amazing. I'd love to promote it for you. That's your job, mm -hmm. right? Like you're like, we have to stop waiting for permission to tell people that yes. we are actually doing good things in the world. Okay. That's, I can't even believe you said that because I was going to try and bring this up in some way. Okay. <laughs> the whole idea that you need, like the world needs to tell you that it's okay to do something like this. Okay. Like that's the, uh, the fact that you guys, you and Galen are pretty young dentists. I, mean, I, I don't, I don't mean to make you feel bad, but you're just, you're just kids basically. And, yeah, uh, totally. and yet you guys have put this amazing continuing education continuum together. And, and there's a lot of people that are going to go, Oh my gosh, like, what am I going to learn from these punk kids? You know? And part of me is like, well, you go, because here's the thing. No, you don't need permission to do that. No one needs to tell you it's okay to do that. And you, you know, your reputation will precede you. Same thing with podcasting. Like why do, what makes me what gives me the right to go out and do a podcast about whatever it is I'm going to do? And I came to realize nothing. I'm, I did it. And, and you know, anyone can do it. And there's no reason. But on the other hand, there's so many people that won't because they feel like they need to have some official. I don't know. It's crazy. Like there's a lot of stuff in life that you don't need permission for that. I think a lot of people are waiting for for people to say, well, this is OK. You can do this. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think that that's how you get to a life that you're waiting for retirement because you're like, once I'm done with this, then I can go live the life that I really want. And I'm sorry, but you could get hit by a bus before that day comes. Mm -hmm. And so what are you going to do with what you have today? You're you do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And I don't I don't mean it in like an airy fairy way either. I mean, like, literally, there's no reason. I mean, a lot of my harebrained ideas are not worth following through, but I get them constantly. I get them like, like constantly. And, and part of it is like, I limit myself enough on this stuff. I don't need anyone else <laughs> limiting what, you know? Yeah. So it is sort of funny to me that I think your point about who's going to, if you're not going to promote yourself, no one's going to walk in and decide that they're gonna. And I'll tell you what, when you pay people to do it, that don't really know you very well. And frankly, don't maybe know dentistry and don't know your dentistry very well. Those are the wrong people to do it. Anyhow, I, I do. And you don't have, just because you're promoting yourself doesn't mean you're being an arrogant jerk. You know, there's deliveries, everything, right? Right. And I think that you know, when you are really passionate about something and, you know, you hear really great things. Like I, I was talking to an office this week and they were talking about how like amazing their doctor is and takes them on these trips if they hit their goals and all these really wonderful things. And it's those type of pieces that like people should be able to know your heart and where you're coming from and that you 
care about things or that you do free services and you should put those cases up. And part of it is that kind of like guilt that we feel for not wanting to be in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. But how are people going to know that they're going to connect with you on your mission and that they want to spend money with you because they believe what you believe? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's that's so important. And that's what separates it, right? Like our credentials, all of those things, what CEs I took. And a lot of times I see Dennis getting into this place of my CE is bigger and better. And it's okay. Well, let's just be honest about the fact that if you want to do that for you, that's fine. But that's not what the patient actually cares about. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times have, has anybody ever walked in and asked us about that? And that's exactly it's not right. to say that I don't think, you know, of course I believe in continuing education and being amazing. I'm just saying that how is anybody going to know? And, and part of the, the credentialing and the, and the, uh, there's a ton of websites that a lot of dentists will just put their all the different things they've been involved with on the on the website, you know, so the world can see. And I don't patients. I don't think they care about that. And even if they did care, they might not even know what it all means, that sort of thing. And so that's I mean, it's much easier to tell a story about what it's like to be in my office or what it's you know, or, or what I've been doing with, you know, I don't know. I, 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 again, I think that taking good CE is awesome and, and important, but I don't think your patients understand or care that much. They, they, they don't at all. I guess if they're dentists, they might, if you, if you, they might want to know that you've done everything, if it's all dentists that you work on, but no, it's true. I'll share something with you that even though I believe this, it was like really like opened my eyes. Um, last week we had a patient fly in from out of state to get work done. And I was talking to her and she said, Oh, I've wanted to do this work for so long. And my best friend who is in dentistry said, I'm so happy that you're finally doing this. I hope you did your due diligence to research the dentist that you're going to. And she goes, no, I didn't. I saw a photo on Facebook. I loved what they were, they were doing. And I flew out here. Like that is, <laughs> it was the stories and the photos, no joke. And so, oh, but it, I would say that's the due diligence. I would say, yeah. I mean, uh, the story is, is that uh, like, if, if you couldn't, if you couldn't do that for her, I think she'd be bummed out about it. But yeah, I get it. Right. But it was like, no, I didn't, you know, like check and see, can you please email me a list of your CEs this year? Right. Like, yeah. Um. so all of that to say is that people just want to know that you care about them and that you can deliver what they want and what they need. No, I agree. I agree. And I, th- I think that um, a lot of times, too, we get sort of hung up in the technical aspects of things, which is great. A dentist, a dentist always do that. But I think that the, something to remember is that your patients probably don't care that much about the technical stuff. You know, it's like, um, I don't know. And that's hard for me sometimes because I, I mean, that's I sort of like to, to stay in that world. But uh, I don't know that it is. It's tough because that's where, you know, bring it back to storytelling. It's like, you know, the the Bonnie agent or total edge technique that you use is not really part of the story. Again, unless you're <laughs> on the audience as other dentists, I suppose. Right. It's a right. Totally. Well, with that in mind, I, uh, we talked a little bit about some of the things we could talk about. I want to dig in a little bit with you and you are the first, uh, co-host I've had on the Alan Mead experience that was willing to talk about a time that you might go back to in your life that you might've, you might change something. So are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'm going to give you the give you the the intro here. You only get one chance to change your past. How do you use it? Do you convince yourself that law school would have been a better choice, or do you go back in time to stop a horrible Mexican food incident? You only get one chance with the AME single-use time machine. 
What are you going to do with it? All right, so you get a single-use time machine to go back to a time in your life, and you can only really talk to you. That's the other rule. In other words, it's, you can't go back and kill Adolf Hitler. That's, I mean, so, so we have to go back and change a part of your life. What would you, and, and the other question is, what would you tell yourself, and would your, would your old self have even believed you, or would they, would they have listened? So I want to hear what you have to say about this. So the first thing, because, you know, I had, I had read these and the first thing that really came to my mind was, um, so I've, I've never, I've never really shared this, uh, with a lot of people. The only person for a while that knew it was, was my best friend. But when I graduated, graduation day from dental school was like a really sad day for me. And part of it being such a sad day for me was I felt like there was so much sacrifice in it and it really felt anticlimactic. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to like dentistry. So while this big celebration was happening, I was really kind of freaking out about, did I make the wrong choice with my life? And so I really kind of sat in that place for a while. So I think that if I were to go back, I would probably tell myself that actually the choice doesn't matter whether it was dental school or something else that from then on, I could choose to do whatever I wanted anyways. So there, so it really didn't matter. I didn't have to put as much weight on it as I did and that I could still incorporate all the things that I loved into the rest of my life and that I wasn't locked into something because I felt truly locked in from that day. And if I did tell myself that, I I would not have believed it. I would not have listened. <laughs> of course. Because, that's, a, that's the answer every time, I'm sure, right? That's how it's that's yeah, so I would, funny. Yeah, I, I would not have like had any peace at that moment because I was just in this place of like, this is the worst day of my life and I need to be happy about it. I I totally get that. That's really good. That's really good uh, because I didn't dwell on it much in dental school because I was too freaked out about just getting through, but... There is, I mean, dental school is not a very good way to know if you're going to like dentistry. <laughs> I mean, a, I mean, dentist, dental school is such a such a horrible representation of what actually practicing and being a dentist is like. And I mean, dental students, I you know, there were no podcasts when I was in dental school, but I'm just like, for dental students, to understand no matter what's going on in dental school, it's it's really not a very good representation of what it's like to be a dentist. It's 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 close. But so the idea that you weren't sure you made the right choice, very realistic, by the way, like, how would you know? Like, uh, I, oh, that, I would, I was pretty sure it was like the worst choice. And the, <laughs> the reason why I think I felt like that is because when I got really honest with myself, um, I think I made, a, I think I made that choice from a really dysfunctional place. And I think that's why I was so sad about it. Mm hmm. Interesting. Like you made the choice to go to dental school from a dysfunctional choice. Yes. From a dis- dysfunctional place. Interesting. Yes. I'm I'm curious about that only because just my background. Okay, so my dad's a dentist. I was going to be a dentist forever. I looked up to what he did. He seemed to he liked what to do, but when I was in college, I vacillated pretty hard for a while. I was pretty sure I was going to be a veterinarian. I was pretty sure I was gonna, like I knew I it seemed like I was going somewhere in the in something I was getting a zoology degree, and I was pretty sure I was going to do something more than zoology. But, um, you know, dentistry was always loomed large in my mind because my dad was a dentist. But so in some ways, and I know there's a lot of people out there that make the choice for dental school, 
because they have a relative that was there. And I'm just curious, mm-hmm. like, what kind of dysfunction are you talking about? Or do you want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. If I, I probably wouldn't have maybe a couple years ago because it was still really fresh, right? Sure, but now, sure. I'm, and now I'm past it. So I'm happy to share what that was like for me. But um, my dysfunctional choice to be a dentist was from feeling really insecure. And I am from a small town. Mm-hmm. And in my family, the most college anybody had accomplished was an associate's degree. And so there was always that feeling of really not being good enough and wanting to be better. And so that really drove a lot of my decisions, right? So like the drive that I had came from not wanting to be a loser. Mm -hmm. And so when I finished my bachelor's degree and I had always been in dentistry, so I honestly never thought about like being successful in any other field. I got in one lane and I just like pushed the gas on that. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm just going to go as far as I can. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was a hygienist for a while and I still had that like feeling of not being good enough. And so the logically in my head, the next step is like, okay, well then I'll be a dentist and then I will feel good enough. Interesting. And so I, so I did. And so I think that that was like the graduation day was really the culmination of this was a lot of work and effort and debt. And I'm still the exact same person. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. It's, I mean, it's so true. No matter, no matter what, you're still you. <laughs> right. I mean, and for better so, or for worse, mind you, it, it, it can kill both ways depending. But yeah, that's interesting. And so I wasn't any smarter than I, I mean, smarter in the sense that yes, you learn more, but like a capacity to learn. I wasn't, nobody was coming up to me. You know, I, I didn't, the, the feeling of being insecure and creating from that place can yield really amazing results. But what I found is that even when you get something amazing, I still felt really shitty about it. Interesting. So, Interesting. It so, so learning how to create for the love of creating and not out of a place of feeling insecure or dysfunctional has been a journey for me. It's funny too, because I think a lot of dentists, dental people don't think of them as a creative, think of themselves as a creative type. Like, like they want to write a check for marketing. They don't want to deal with that stuff. They don't. And so they don't put a lot of themselves in that. And I found that to be, it's a, it's a little frustrating. I get it because you know, the business model is that, you're in the back cranking it out as much as you can. And you know what, why should I do, why should I spend time doing something that doesn't make me a dollar? You know, it doesn't make me direct money when someone else can do this stuff. And and I mean, I can't really argue with that, but I love, I love it when people can put themselves into stuff like that. I mean, I really do. And it's probably, I didn't know three years ago when we started podcasting that I was going to like it as much as I did, but I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I like doing this more than I like doing almost anything else. And it's, it's funny because I had no idea. I had no idea. I was, in fact, I was not a creative type. I, I guess I didn't, I was and I didn't realize it. You know what I mean? Like I, I like making stuff and the stuff I like making is generally stuff that's on the internet at this point, right? Like I'm, cause I'm no good at, as we discussed earlier with my office, uh, <laughs> my <laughs> office building abilities, not good there. Uh, it's not that I couldn't learn that, but that wasn't my thing. I was naturally good at this stuff between writing. Who knew where that came from? Like I, I wasn't an English major anything like that, but, but I mean, I, I get a huge charge out of doing that, like, like making stuff. And I feel like, I feel like 
dentists should have something like that. I, it almost feels like they innately do, and they maybe just don't look at it. What would you What would you tell dentists about how to how to find their creative side? Yeah, I think it's so important to really ask that question. And like I said, so that that's part of the question is like, what did you give up to become this? And a lot of times, people can even go back to their childhood and find a love of, you know, like I talked to somebody the other day, and I asked this question, and he said that he used to um, act out one of the scenes in Braveheart when he was a little kid, like on like repeat, he would like go to his room and like act out the scene over and over again. And when his dad saw him doing it, he got really embarrassed. And um, it's so interesting because you could see him as a really creative person, but you could also see that part being really cut off and stifled. Yeah, it's a so, sensitive. It's a sensitive thing too because. I get that. Like, like you, there's a certain amount of being comfortable with being accepted. Like when we put the first episode of the dental hacks out there, we did not know what was going to come. We didn't know what was next. You know, putting yourself out there is scary on any level, even if it's like being embarrassed in front of your dad or whatever. That's, that's, that's like you have, there's gotta be a certain amount of putting yourself out there. It gets just, you know, it's um, not you, but any list, it gets way easier once you do it for a while. Seriously. Yeah. And I think that, I think that part of the thing that, um, because it is so personal, like, you know, doing your job doesn't have as much of that personal, like this thing that you really love and you want to protect. But, um, it, I think it's when that part of you gets cracked open, that's where all the diamonds are, right? Like that's that's where all the, like the juice of life is. That's where all the, I actually don't care what people think about me. Like I'm going to live my life because this is how I want to live it. And if you want to be a part of that, I'm happy to have you. But if not, then I'm happy to continue doing whatever I want to do. I mean, I, I completely, <laughs> and, and I have to say, even if that, that thing isn't, isn't your job that you, the thing that you get your paycheck from, it's okay. It, those two things can be separate. They don't, they don't necessarily have to be, but they can be, and it's still okay. Yeah, there are the, you know, there are the sexy projects and there are the necessary projects, yep, right? Shoveling but the walk. This, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the stuff so the that's got to get that, done. That's right. Right. That have to bring in money. But then the sexier stuff are the things that you do because you want to drop money on it and because it makes you happy and it fulfills your life and, you know, all of those things. And I think that's really important for um, for us to not hate our lives and hate our jobs. I agree. All right. As we approach the close... I got to do this. We got to let the listeners know what you guys are doing, this this business we were talking about. So to do this, we're going to do the 90-second perfect pitch with you. Are you ready to go? Yeah, bring it on. You've got a minute and a half to sell the Allen Mead Experience audience anything you want. An idea, a product, a service, a used car, whatever you like. But you have to stop when you hear my ass. Welcome to the 90-second perfect pitch. Ready, set, go. You're on. All right. So we have a website, and the website is called Thrive Experience. So the, the E from the Thrive and Experience is one E masterclass.com. And we take dentists, 30 dentists within 12 weeks, and we teach them the art of direct resin veneers. That's, that's the sexier part. Now, the fun part is really getting 
into the creativity of your business, pulling out the fantastic stories and how you've helped transform patients' lives and build that into your marketing and completely fuse who you are as a person and who you are in your business so that you stand out from every other dental practice around you, not even in your city, but so people from all over the country can find you, know what you do, know what kind of values you have, and are able to connect with you and find you for their services. So that's what we that's what we teach Dennis how to do. And we get all up in your business like a nosy neighbor, and we coach you throughout the 12 weeks so you have on-demand support, so you get real results in your business. Wow. And you've, hey, you've still got 20 seconds if you just want to, like, Say hi to your mom or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to come to a close here. That's really cool. I love that. You did really great. Okay, here it comes. That's very cool. That was awesome. I uh, thank you. You are you are not the first one that's been able to do it in less than 90 seconds. I kind of love that. That was very good. It was really good. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So the website again is Thrive Experience Masterclass. That's one E between the Thrive and the Experience part. And uh, when is your next class starting? In August. In August. Okay. So you you guys have a little time to think about it, dig into it, get signed up, but don't wait too long because they're going to fill up. So I'll tell you what. This was spectacularly fun. I really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, I feel like we just sort of scratched the surface, so maybe we're going to have to do this again sometime. But thank you, Dr. Davina Dietrich, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be a guest. I absolutely love what you're doing, and I'm so happy to be a part of it. So thank you. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again real soon then. Okay. Thanks, Alan. 